You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Your expectations can alter your perception of reality. One of my favorite examples of this comes from a research study done at the University of Bordeaux. They have a wine tasting and, and wine growing program there. And so one time one of the professors did this research project where we had a bunch of undergraduates who were in this program. They're there to study wine. They've been learning about wine. They understand the different nuances of the tastes and the flavors that it can have. And he has them come in to an experiment where he gives them two glasses of wine, a red wine and a white wine. And they drink the white wine first, and they describe the different flavors that they, that they um, detect, the different scents that they have. They use words that are often used to talk about white wines. They describe its floral aroma, and then they try the red wine. And with the red wine, they, try, they describe, again, with words that are typically used to describe a red wine. They might talk about more of the earthy flavors or the, the oak or the tannins or whatever it is that they d- detected in that wine. But they use words that are oftentimes used to describe a red wine. And only after this study was done with about 60 students who were there to study wine did he reveal they're actually the same wine. He just put some red food coloring in, in the and the one with the white glass. And they all detected it. Not one of them said, this is the same thing. It tastes the same. Because of their expectation, they thought that it tasted like a red wine. Similarly, some other studies around wine that I think this is a fascinating thing have shown that if you put a cheap wine in an expensive bottle, people will like it more. Like, they'll like it enough to drink it more because they think that they're getting access to a really expensive wine. And if you put the expensive wine in a cheap bottle, people will talk about how it's not really very good. (laughs) And they'll reject it and turn it away. And just in case you're thinking, well, this is because they're wine snobs, and they don't really detect all these flavors, and it's just part of the culture of drinking wine, have you ever thought that you had a glass of water in front of you, but it was milk? And you picked it up. This has happened to me at times where I forget what I'm drinking when I'm sitting down at dinner. And I think that I've got one drink and I go to like drink it and it's like, oh, that's disgusting. But I I drink that all the time. But my expectation was such that it didn't match my expectation. And so I wanted to reject it. What is true of our tastes in food is also true when it comes to following Jesus. Your expectations will alter your perception of whether or not what God is doing is good. They will change your engagement with the Christian life. And Jesus was dealing with this in the first century when he went and brought disciples to to walk around him to listen to his teaching. As they came to understand and it was revealed to them that he was the long-awaited Messiah, They had expectations for what it meant for him to be the Messiah. They were looking for someone who was going to unify the various factions in Israel, bring them together, unite them against a common enemy so that he could rise up and cast out the Romans or any of the other enemies of Israel, usher in a new golden age like the one that had been present in the time of David. 
This was their expectation of Jesus. And so Jesus, with his disciples, often had to reset their expectations, to make them see him for who he truly was, to understand his mission for what it really looked like. And of course, we have the same problem today. Not that we are expecting a Messiah that is going to come and unite us and cast out our enemies out of the nation, but we have expectations of Jesus, ways that we understand his mission. And oftentimes, those expectations that we have are actually founded on a partial understanding of who he is. Just like in that first century, their expectations for a Messiah who would cast out the enemies of God was partially true. There will come a day where Jesus comes and casts out all enemies. But it wasn't that moment. It wasn't part of the mission of that particular time and not in the way that they were expecting. So we carry in expectations oftentimes that Jesus is going to make things better, easier for us to live. And then we can run into the fact that life as a Christian is hard and we feel like God is disappointing us. Or we can come with expectations that Jesus, because he calls all people to salvation under him, is going to sort of gently steer each and every person to him, that eventually everyone will come around and it's just a sort of a gentle touch on the shoulder, not really, uh, not really infringing upon my rights or my, my autonomy. And we can find it very difficult to deal with the Jesus who says, I'm here for judgment. Because that is the message of the Gospel of Luke today. Jesus comes to tell us what his mission is. He comes to set our expectations. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 49. Begins with this saying that Jesus, uh, we heard it here, read in the Gospel reading just a moment ago, Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. There is here basically two possibilities that are open to us for the interpretation of what Jesus is saying, um, one of them being far more likely than the other. The first interpretation is we go, okay, this is Luke writing, right? The same Luke that wrote the, God, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And so he knew that there was a time coming where they the Holy Spirit was going to come upon the apostles as tongues of fire. And so perhaps Jesus is looking forward to that moment. He's anticipating that time when the Holy Spirit is going to come and saying, I wish that that were already going to happen. The other possibility that's open to us is that this language of fire is a fire of judgment. And in the context that we have here in Luke chapter 12, that is the far more likely meaning of fire. We've just had several parables that we've heard over the last couple of weeks read here that talked about judgment, about being ready for the coming of the Son of Man, for the return of the Son of Man. We've had people talking about judgment, and here Jesus is saying, I have come to bring, usher in the kingdom of God. And ushering in the kingdom of God means also bringing the judgment of God. The wrath of God comes along with the kingdom. The kingdom does not come in gently. The kingdom of God comes with judgment. 
And we can understand a little bit more of what that judgment looks like when we see the second statement that Jesus makes here, where he says that I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Of course, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has already undergone the water baptism in the Jordan. What he is looking forward to at this moment, he's anticipating his death. He's anticipating the cross, that he is going to die. And he is distressed as he anticipates the pain and the agony, the separation from God that comes as he takes on the sin of the world. He's anticipating the judgment of God the wrath of God coming upon him. And he's saying that this is how the kingdom of God will ultimately be ushered in. Through judgment, through the judgment of the Father upon sin, through my own death, and then through resurrection after that. But to get to resurrection, we have to pass through death. This is key to understanding the judgment of God. There is this division that happens at the moment of judgment where it requires, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, death and then resurrection. And when we understand that this is the purpose of Jesus, that he has come to usher in that moment to bring the judgment of God upon himself, but also for all of those who wish to enter into the kingdom, we have to follow the same way that he did, the same path. It is a path of death and resurrection. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is essential to the Christian life. And so often, we want the path into the kingdom of God to be like some sort of plastic surgery done upon us. Like, sure, it might be uncomfortable, but maybe they can use anesthesia. And they'll come in and just sort of cut out the parts that don't need to be there anymore. They'll sort of reshape us, remodel us into the way that we need to look to be proper members of the kingdom. But fundamentally, nothing really has changed about who I am, about me. I'm just kind of altering and cutting out the parts that don't fit anymore. But moving into the kingdom of God is far more like metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. Do you know what happens when a caterpillar goes into its chrysalis? It's not just that it like grows wings and maybe shrinks a little bit. What happens when a caterpillar goes into its chrysalis is that it actually releases enzymes that dissolve the body of the caterpillar. If you could open it up at just the right moment, there would just be caterpillar goo inside. What happens is that at the, actually at the birth of the caterpillar, there are these particular clusters of cells called imaginal disks. And when it goes into that chrysalis, its entire old body dissolves. And then these disks that have been planted, that have been in it from the very beginning, these seeds that have been there, basically grow an entirely new body out of the substance of what is there. That is what it is like to enter the kingdom of God. We can say there is continuity between the caterpillar and the butterfly, that the one is at the larval stage, the one is the adult stage. There is a spot in which we are the same person from beginning and to the end, but it requires the dissolution of our entire self, the letting go of everything that is not, part of, uh, that is not subject to Jesus, the destruction of sin in us 
in order for us to have death and rise into new life. And this is what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. This is what it means to undergo the judgment of God. It is not just some adjustments on some little parts of yourself that you don't like or that you think God doesn't like. It is being radically remade into a completely new being. And that process is sometimes difficult. That process can be painful. And if we understand that that is what God is doing in us, then we can accept that the cost is worth the reward. But if we come in with that expectation that things will just be a little bit different, that there's just going to be some slight adjustments, and we'll think of him as a bad father. Like the reading that we heard from Hebrews, we will not understand that the discipline that he is meeting out upon us is for our own good. That it is leading us into the holiness that is the only way that we can enter the kingdom. That's how that reading in Hebrews ends. The discipline that he's working on you will strive for the holiness without which you will not see God. Because this process is painful, because there is a fundamental discontinuity between the world as it is and the kingdom to come, there will always be resistance. There will always be those who reject this path, who do not understand the, that the work of God is good. And this is part of why Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but division. Because if you think that it's sort of adjusting the world, if it's just sort of bringing and gathering everybody together, if that's the expectation that we have of what Jesus is doing, then we can sort of have a no-person-left-behind view of things. We can think, why won't people accept this? Why won't they undergo this? It's Jesus is sort of making things nicer and easier and better. But that's not what he promises and so there will be those who reject him, those who refuse the change. We'll have father against son and mother against daughter and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law because there is a fundamental discontinuity with this world and the world to come. And only those who are willing to undergo that radical change, the judgment of God that destroys everything that we hold on to that is apart from him, that is not come, does not come from him, only those are the ones who will pass into the kingdom. The last week I watched an animated version of The Pilgrim's Progress with my two daughters. Um, it was one that came out not too long ago. Um, and... It, but it contains many elements of the classic story. And one of the things that it actually contains as a significant part of the story that is difficult for us to understand at times is there is this moment at the beginning where Christian, the person who is going to set out for the celestial city, he's going to go walk this path, and he understands, he's read the book and the guide that represents the Word of God that has said that this is going to be difficult. The road will be hard. But when he's about to take that first step out the door, his wife turns to him and says, if you make this decision, you're going to have to leave us behind. The kids and I aren't going to come with you. 
You have to decide. Are you going to follow this book? Are you going to follow after this king? Or are you going to choose me? And he says, I have to go. I must. This has opened up my eyes and I see the burden that is upon me and I have to go. This is the only way that I can have it off of me. And there are others who come along and try to convince him to come back. One who is just stubborn, his name is obstinate. Another one who changes his mind very easily, his name is pliable. And as soon as they get to the first difficulty, pliable turns around and says, this is, this is too hard. Christian says, I told you that the path would be hard. He says, it's too hard. I'm going back. There is a leaving of all things behind that happens if we want to seek after the kingdom of God. Which leads to the discussion that Jesus has about interpreting the times. Sometimes when we read this passage, or passages like this, I think that what we think about is chronological time. We're looking around, looking at the events of the world today and saying, is this the end? Is it coming soon? Is Jesus coming soon? But Jesus is speaking to people in his own age, in his own time, saying, do you understand the time that you are in? Do you understand what is happening? And the word that he uses is not the time like the, the passing of time. He uses the word kairos. Do you understand that this is a decisive moment that you are being presented with? Do you understand that this is the time to make the decision? It's the right time, right now. Because I am here, the kingdom of God is breaking in right now, already. If somebody asks you the question, are you in the last days, the answer is yes, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. I don't know how much longer the last days will be, but the kingdom of God is breaking in right now. And so it presents us with a decision. You are given a decision in this moment. Will you follow after Jesus or will you seek after something else? Now is the right time to make the decision. In the present moment, that's how we interpret the sign. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Are you going to delay in the hopes that maybe there will be a future moment that is better for you to make that shift, that change, to follow after Jesus? That better moment will never come. Now is the time. The kingdom of God is breaking in. This radical change from one thing to the next, are you going to be part of it? Are you going to go with it? Or will you be left behind because you refuse to allow him to have his way with you? Will you put your trust in him? Will you put your faith in him? Now is the moment, not, not later. There's an urgency to it. There's always an urgency to it because now is the moment when the kingdom of God is breaking in. We are faced with this, of course, at the moment where we make a decision to follow after Jesus, but we're faced with this again and again. The thing that you cling to, the sin that you don't want to give up, 
Do you have a sense that maybe if I wait a little bit longer, I can, I can maybe eke some more pleasure out of it, and then I'll change? Read the times. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Now is the moment to seek after holiness. To leave aside everything, every love, no matter how good it may seem, that pulls you away from that path. Now is the time. Do you have people whom you love? You're waiting for just the right moment, hoping that if you tell them in the right timing that they will come to, to believe the word. It's now is just not the right time to tell them. The kingdom of God is breaking in. It's happening right now. And now is the time. The only moment that we are given by God is the present moment. The only one we are guaranteed to have. Jesus, just last week, we heard the parable where he says there could be any moment where God calls you home, where he calls you to himself. You don't know the days or the hours of your life. Only God knows that. So what are you waiting for? Now is the time to choose to follow after Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Now is the time to leave behind all sin that keeps you from following in his path. Of course, you need God's help to do that, but ask for his help. Seek after his help. Forsake the sin. Go get help from someone else if you need it. Don't keep it in secret in the hopes that you can work it out and then sometime down the road you'll be done with it. Confess it. Repent. Now is the time. you're waiting to make a decision about whether you're going to wholeheartedly follow Jesus, now is the time. If you're waiting to tell someone whom you love in the hopes that you can find the moment where they'll be open to it, now is the time. Because the kingdom of God is breaking in. He's inviting us to be part of that transformation to walk with him through death and resurrection into a glorious life beyond what we could imagine. But do not wait, because now is the time. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.